Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. We are going to put a beautiful shiny bow on the 2018 NFL season on tonight's podcast. Go over some lessons learned. Talk about uh, analytics and and what we uh, um, you know what we took away from the season. Uh, give you a little bit of a sneak preview as far as looking ahead to 2019. Uh, and with all of that, uh, Andy, as always, welcome to uh, our Deep Dive Wednesday guest, spectacular podcast. Um, we got a new uh, new voice tonight. You yeah, brand new, brand new voice we've never had which is going to be we're going to try to make a theme of that this uh this off season which it probably won't always be that way there's plenty of people we just love to have time and again but for sure we're going to try to get a bunch of new voices because we're always meeting cool new people in this space that have i don't know just cool shit going on or good ideas so yeah you uh, yeah. go ahead and yeah. Introduce, introduce yeah them. so with that um there was one pretty obvious choice at least in my opinion uh, to call on, who I feel like was, you know, a clear rising star in the gambling NFL gambling space in 2018, that it would be worthwhile having on to kind of introduce to the listeners and start to, you know, start to pick pick uh, at some of the important issues facing the handicappers of the NFL, uh, and that is none other than Sam Congato. How are you doing tonight, Sam? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing real good. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Um, yeah, I'm more than excited to dive into the 2018 season and talk about some things about the 2019 season. I love it. I love it. Um, this is not the actual Sam Congato, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. I'm not a dynamic <laughs> running back talent who took the world by storm in 2005. <laughs> Well, let's let's uh, kind of get uh, let's set some people up who you know maybe like what what is going on? What are you talking about here? Um, you're relatively new to Twitter. Did you start uh, basically start a, a whole profile this season, or is this something that you've been doing for a little while and you're just starting to kind of get get notoriety after having a pretty pretty outstanding season? Yeah, it's it's definitely a relatively new thing. Um, I was definitely in part inspired by you know, Barry Horse and his entire uh, success with his MLB model. And I had built something um, during the off season and I tracked it early on. And after the first four or five weeks, I had been doing really well. And I figured, hey, I might, might as well start sharing this and see where it goes from there. And how did it go? Uh, it went really well for uh, the course of the season. I had about a 61% hit rate. Um, the record was 75, 47, and 6. Um, and that generated almost 84 units of profit, which was around an 18% ROI. Hmm. Okay, interesting. That nice. is legit. That is legit. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that beat both myself and I don't know if actually, I'm not sure. Andy, what was your ROI? You, you did freaking awesome this season too. Did you, is that better than you did as well? Or well, I think, my RO, I think my ROI was just higher because I didn't bet as many games as you. Oh, that's well, for me, that higher than me for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Um, yeah, but yeah, anyway, uh, the, uh, I, you, yeah. 
people people can uh, people can track you anyway but uh we'll, we'll call you by your actual name which is sean and the reason that i kind of first got exposure to you was through the uh, the bedded up newsletters and talking you know the, the kind of the pieces you wrote as we um, you know, wound down through the NFL season, I found very informative, very instructive, and it was, you know, it always is interesting and, and fun to find uh, new voices who are kind of, you know, doing things a little differently, challenging sort of the basic common sense sort of way things are done. Uh, and so it's super exciting to have you on and talk to you. Um, you're named after famous Green Bay Packer, Sam Congato. Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah, Sam Khan um, is honestly my, like, not even kidding, uh, my favorite Green Bay running back of all time. Um, I remember watching so many of his games, oh, every game, because, I mean, he only played for the Packers for eight games, but he kind of <laughs> came onto the scene and tore apart every every rush defense in the league, and then unfortunately had a season-ending injury, and then was basically never to be heard from again until I think ESPN did like some kind of segment, special segment on him a year or two ago, showing that he kind of pivoted and became a doctor. Um, so just, he really showed off, you know, I, excels in all different I guess I missed the Sam Con ghetto, the, the Sam Con 30 for 30, but I'll have to go look for that. <laughs> You know what they say yeah. though: the, the brightest stars burn out the fastest. So it's it's it's, <laughs> oh, it's it was it was a brief. I had that. It was a brief. I had that queued up, and you just stole it. <laughs> well, uh, I I was I I thought I was leaving you wide open for the Mark Shimura joke, but uh, I guess you didn't want to go there on the pod. Um, you also yeah. didn't. I don't know. Also, if, I don't know if a lot of people remember him. him. That was forever ago. Well, I'm sure people remember the 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 um, the hamper pooper. Najaya Davenport. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Davenport was taken, so you went Sam Congato instead. That's pretty much how it went down. Um, <laughs> there was there was no space for the pooper hamper capper. Um, no. The hamper pooper capper, whatever. That's a wild story. Look it up if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, anyway, Green Bay running backs, good stuff. And you're a Wisconsin guy? Yep, uh, big Wisconsin guy. The only exception is I'm not a Brewer fan, and I'm a Cubs fan. I was just kind of born and raised that way, and Ooh. so yeah, that is the that one be, exception. That must be interesting up there in the uh, in the summers. Oh yeah, it's a lot of hostility, tons, mm. especially mm. when uh, Cubs fans come to Miller Park and turn it to Wrigley North for a weekend. Just out of curiosity, did you? Uh, as a Packers kind of close follower and also handicapper sports better, were you surprised by how the season went down this year for the Packers, or did you feel like you saw this coming and it was it was a good good pivot in the right direction for the franchise to move on from uh, from Mike McCarthy? Um, I want to say I definitely anticipated this season being a disappointment. I thought um, we didn't really have much to show on offense to really you know, take us to that level that you need to be to really contend and go deep in the playoffs, even if we would have made the playoffs. Um, obviously, the Rodgers injury was big. And I think one area that they do need to focus on in the offseason is, I mean, you can't really go into a season and really expect to compete if your second wide receiver is Geronimo Allison or Scantling, like <laughs> they're okay talents, but if that's if that's the second option for someone like Aaron Rodgers, you're you're dead in the water. 
Yeah. What did you think about them kind of making a move to bring in Jimmy Graham as a tight end weapon and expecting that all of a sudden, you know, Rodgers would find chemistry with the tight ends when that's never really been his thing? Yeah, that that move was definitely puzzling. Obviously, Jordy was aging, and I understood letting him go, but I didn't understand cutting ties with him but keeping Cobb and then signing someone like Graham. Like, it seemed like you either had to – hit the reset button or you had to stick with it. And they just kind of picked some weird, ugly mutation of both of those ideas. Kind of, it was, it was really, it was really puzzling and I didn't, I didn't understand it one bit. Mm, Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about your history and get the listeners more familiar with some of your background. Uh, You have been sports betting for how long? Um, It's been about six years. Yeah. I started my sophomore year of college. Um, I kind of had a buddy of mine kind of uh, pull me in. And after a couple months of really yanking my chain about it, I finally caved in. And I was probably, you know, your typical square better for probably a larger part of two years where, you know, I, was, I, was, I thought I could hit parlays. I thought, you know, oh, I would tail. fall for your, yeah, your typical. Tail is all uh, this time. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, this is yeah. so no, this is so close to my story. Yeah. I can't even believe it. Keep oh going. yeah. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, you know what, and you know what's worse than thinking like, you can hit parlays is yeah, actually hitting one. Actually, when, when you're, oh, when you're yeah. in that stage. Yes. When you oh yes. I, yes. I hit, Worst case I hit and this was I was not oh I mean I was betting nothing. I didn't have any money. I was young. I think I was in college when I, I hit one that cashed out for like eleven hundred dollars. And I mean I was mm-hmm. betting 15 20 bucks a game and this one was just a massive one that came through I remember like waiting for the check and then of course like I, I didn't cash all of it out i just pissed like three quarters of it away on you know 30 more parlays <laughs> yeah winning one of those is the worst thing for you oh yeah because you get that twinkle in your eye and not nothing's the same ever again i'm gonna get rich this is too yeah. easy Yes, without a doubt. It's so funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that's almost exactly the same sort of story. I was a sophomore in college. A guy who was a senior who had been betting offshore was like, this is so cool. It's so easy. You know, and gave me a couple hot tips. I got a couple winners. I won on the Super Bowl. And the next thing you know, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm unbeatable. And then it was a long, it was like a good solid, like, four or five years of like paying tuition into you know just betting with my gut and making mistakes and then you know i finally got you know i finally got some handicapping skills built up a bankroll and then like a lot of the the offshore i was betting at went belly up my bankroll disappeared and i was like all right forget all this like i'm out uh and it was kind of relatively recently in my life that i've gotten back into it and started using models and analytics which brings me to my next question um you know did you basically how long did it take you once you were into sports betting to realize that you could apply some kind of advanced philosophy modeling theory you know mathematics to what you're doing in terms of handicapping yeah sure so um yeah i had that whole trial by fire phase the first two years and then i kind of sort of got better maybe the next one or two years after that and then after that like intermediate period that's probably when i really started getting into the the real the real analytics that you know you can actually obtain an edge with and then it really like i i guess i did have some like elementary projection systems i guess you could call them that were really nothing like too comprehensive but it really wasn't until this nfl model this nfl model was my first crack at like 
a truly comprehensive, fully built out, like predictive sports model. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm still like to this day, I'm amazed with how well it did. And, you know, like it, it does check off a lot of boxes of how a model should perform, like, you know, higher rates of profit at higher, um, uh, value plays and, you know, hitting, um, it's just like, I I've been running an analysis and I'm actually doing a write-up currently. That's basically, um, a recap of, uh, the entire year and different splits and just everything that I look at points to it not being a fluke. And it's been, it's been reassuring and it's also been jaw dropping like the the entire experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely have had those moments and it's pretty awesome when you are like, okay, this is actually working now. I actually have an edge in your hand and you're like, okay, you start thinking about how you're going to go buy that Island. (laughs) Yeah. But, but more, more realistically, like just, just the idea of like having an edge and being able to, um, you know, to, to find it in in a sport like the NFL, if you're an NFL fan is huge. So that's super cool. Congratulations. Um, do, did you, and you, you said this was like your, basically your first crack at it, or did you have some sort of like a power number jumping off point that you were using beforehand? And then you were like, well, you know what, let's really turn, let's, let's put, let's turn this up a notch. Yeah. I mean, like I used to pull a couple metrics and try to build a very, um, I tried to build like some sort of score projection system. And like, that was basically break even, maybe slightly profitable. And then, um, I kind of, it was like last summer, I really told myself that I really wanted to get deep into sports analytics, maybe even one day, you know, work for an organization in sports analytics. And then, like I'd mentioned before, that was right when Barry was catching fire with his MLB model. So then, you know, I got the wise idea of, hey, I, like, I should give a go at it. I mean, worst case scenario, it doesn't work. And then I go back to work and try it again. But um, yeah, I just took a crack at it and somehow struck gold. Um, what, uh, what are some of the sort of the basic uh, tenets or philosophies that you brought from your background and your experience outside of sports betting that have helped you think that you think are kind of, oh, you don't have to give away any of the secret sauce, I guess, but just kind of like, <laughs> like, like uh, I guess describe it for people. Like you're, you're projecting only sides, you're projecting sides and totals. You're, you know, what, what are some of the, the basics? Yeah, so um, on a very basic level, each team um, pulls from underlying data and, and assigns each team kind of like a homebrewed, um, I guess, rating for five categories, which would be pass and rush offense, pass and rush defense, and special teams. Um, and then it kind of pulls in each team's um, five category metrics and finds their correlation to team strength across the league. And it creates these dynamic weights for each of the category. Um, And then using those weights and then using each team's rankings or ratings in each of those categories, it spits out an expected wins number for a 16 game season. Mm, And then um, to project any particular game, uh, it'll just take those two teams expected wins numbers divided by 16 to whittle it down to a per game basis, um, pool the probabilities, and then it'll give a win probability for each team on a neutral field. And then from there, um, 
I have, you know, home field adjustments, travel adjustments, any injury related adjustments, um, you know, all the other things that come with the game specific situation. Nice. Well, that was a pretty good explanation because I've, I don't know, just chatting with a few people and a, and a couple questions I've had in DMs or whatever, and people ask about like, and I think this is something we're going to address next week when we talk some basketball too. But like, how do you even how do you even start a model? And mm-hmm. really, I mean, uh, uh, let's go totals aside, just sides, spreads. Like, you you have to come up with a way to compare two teams. Yeah, exactly. Like with your numbers. And I, I think, yeah, what, what you said, what, that was a lot more eloquent than how I just put it. But, I mean, basically, <laughs> you have to take your stuff. Well, and, and I, I, that's how I've always thought of it. And I really liked how you put it there. But you, you take your homebrew, like you said. You, you start looking at the stats you think are important. And you might find out they're not. They're not predictive at all. But, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you have to find a way to make a comparison between between two teams or in the case of totals, some sort of prediction based on however you want to rate the efficiencies of offense, defense, special teams. Mm-hmm. Well, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that, yeah, like people just trying to like start even the most basic modeling in any sport, just pull some stats, slap them together, weight them however you think they should be weighted and just start fooling around with it and back testing because yeah. you, you might find something fun. Yeah, I got a tough question for you. Um, do one of the toughest things, at least, as you go through this year over year, is trying to kind of suss out um, beginner beginning of the season. So much of it is relying on your priors being correct or reasonable, Right. And so you're going to have to make some assumptions as teams turn over rosters, as players get better or get older, um, you know, as teams change coaches. We have a ton of coaching turnover this year. Um, You know, how do you think that there are key priors that you have identified at this point that you would expect to have equal success early in the season? Or do you think that? you know, that there is a little bit of like, okay, well, we're going to have to make our best assumption of these things. And if you get those guesses right, so to speak, guesses for lack of a better word, you get that right, then you're off and running. Yeah, um, that was actually probably one of the biggest parts of my process in the offseason was, you know, I really, before I even built this model, I, I would say my like fandom in the NFL wasn't all that high. I think I was a, a bigger fan, like, maybe five to seven years ago and I, my interest kind of dropped off. So like it, it took a lot of like reading and getting, you know, r- really deep into what, um, you know, what matters in the, in the modern NFL. And I did a lot of, you know, um, studying on the coaching changes, looking at um, player development arc, stuff like that. And a lot of, um, a lot of my preseason numbers were almost um, handmade in a way where, you know, I would take in all this inform- information and look at the metrics and I would try to project forward based on the information um, available. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, 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 I had preseason numbers going into the year, but um, in a way, I don't think no matter what anyone else would try to do with the same data, I don't think they would have came up with the same um, numbers that I had going into week one. And I was actually just looking um, when I was doing the write-up um, in regards to the model recap 
uh, what was it? It was out of the 32 teams, it was 18 of them landed within one expected win of their preseason projection, which Damn. I thought was, yeah, it was <laughs> crazy. And of course, like four or five of those teams landed outside because, you know, they were ones that had uh, starting quarterback injuries. Yeah, Jimmy like G that. gets hurt or, yeah. yeah, right, 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 right. Wow. So did you expect the Colts to be as good as they ended up being? Um, let me look. I think they were actually one of the teams that I did not have. I was, I was about to, I was about to, I was that would have been, <laughs> that would have been a hell of a call. Uh, I yeah, know that, they're uh, actually, they yeah. were, let's see. Once, once they in were like five, two- six. Yeah. If you were paying attention five, six games in, you knew it was coming, but like preseason, man, that roster oh, was yeah. so bad. It was wild, but yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, they had the third biggest improvement on their expected wins. Um, I had them originally pegged at basically 6.5. Um, and then by the end, the model had them at 9.13. So mm. yeah, a pretty big jump. Nice. nice. Um, yeah. I guess before we get into more specifics, talking about the 2018 NFL season and lessons learned, and I got a bunch more questions for you. Um, sure. Do you have any thoughts as far as people who are listening to this who are like inspired by any of these stories? And are like, I'm going to get to work in this off season and craft a model for any sport. Like, I guess, you know, just like, like what, what would you say to someone who's relatively new to the game here in terms of getting started? What's important? What are some, you know, what are some strengths to work on? Where, where do you go? Yeah. So I think, um, I attribute a lot of my success, not even just performance wise with the model, but just like the, the path I kind of took and the learning process, I would attribute that a lot of that to um, I didn't really reach out to anyone or read like someone's specific guide and say like, Oh, I want to replicate what, you know, someone else had already done. Because I think if you do that, I mean, those materials are already dated. Um, the, The league is always changing no matter what sport you're doing it for. I think you just kind of have to dive feet first into into the the material and just kind of create this self-sustaining process of learning and that way it allows you to pivot from different ideas and different methods as opposed to you know following someone and tunnel visioning on like a certain vision or method or um philosophy like i i I think that was really big for me because i remember i think like the first two like major iterations of my model were based on completely different data sets and I went about it completely different ways and it was you know me not having something that I was following along with that allowed me to kind of pivot off of it and really you know come across something by the end that I was truly you know happy with and actually understood yeah I I guess I have a question too and this is me and like you know whale and I try to we try to impart as much knowledge as we have, but there's, I mean, there's so much shit we have no idea about. And I think one of the weaknesses <laughs> in my, and oh, I've had this conversation throughout the NFL season too, and almost with anything else. And I just, I noticed, you know, I follow you. I notice how you, how you put your bets together. Like anybody who knows anything about 
it's how you know the the looking at your numbers on what you're using for units bet you're using some sort of staking system i mean you don't have to give away the farm on that if you think it's something proprietary that you don't want to talk about but i am i'm completely just stuck in betting the same on every game because mm. i don't really trust whether it's the NFL where I'm not using as much modeling and I don't trust like, is this edge twice as good as this edge or in basketball where I can't really tell whether I really truly think some edges are bigger than others. Like, so I'm just flat betting everything. And I guess if you want to kind of talk about what made you decide to put your staking process into place. Sure. So um, I guess first I'll cover how it works. Um, the model spits out a final spread for the game. And if there's two or at least two points of disagreement with the Vegas line, um, that becomes a model play and it becomes a model play at two units. Um, so in real, in, in reality, that's a one unit play, but I just, for simplicity's sake, equal the points of disagreement to the units. Um, and I guess I decided to, and that scales linearly. So if there's a seven point disagreement, it'll put seven units on it. Um, and I kind of decided to go with that method just because um, from the materials I did gather, it, it just seemed like it made sense that if you were going to build a model to pull the almost the subjectivity out of play selection and play confidence, then you know your staking method should almost reflect that philosophy as well. So um, it just kind of on a very fundamental level made sense to you know scale it that way. Um, mm. And then of course, like I said, I, I drew a lot of in inspiration from Barry, and that's kind of how he did it with his MLB model, where five five percent disagreement was five units, and ten percent was ten, et cetera, et cetera. Gotcha. So quick question then, um, and mm -hmm. either an either anecdotally or mm -hmm. th through doing your sort of postseason autopsy, um, mm -hmm. are all points created equal? I mean, like, I got to mm -hmm. imagine, like, a seven-point edge on a game with a total that's, like, 38 has got to be different than a seven-point edge on a total that's 56, right? Yeah, definitely. And that's, um, that's definitely something that I conceded from the start. Um, and it's actually something I covered in a write-up. I think it was actually my first write-up for Better Up. Um, I had identified early on that uh, the points of win probability um, that you need to move from, for example, minus two and a half to minus three, that that like same stretch of win probability could be covered by two to two and a half points if you're going from like four to six and a half. Um, so, yeah, right. and, and, and also on top of that, like you said, different scoring environments, point, points are obviously worth a lot more or not as much depending on how much scoring is expect, there's expected to be. Um, and that's definitely something that I've had on my list that I want to look for or kind of in 2019. I want to do some more comprehensive research on maybe how I can account for that in terms of staking and, and all that good stuff. Mm. Okay, huge question. This is a fascinating mm -hmm. conversation, by the way. Uh, huge <laughs> question. Do you do any regression to the market? And how does your process marry with the market maturing in the numbers? And you know, if you have a seven, if you have a seven point edge, you know, let's say you have, let's say you have a let's say you have a one point edge on a game, but then the game moves away from your edge by three <laughs> points. Do you still 
then bet it because now you have a four point edge and it's over your threshold or like how do you how do you uh, deal with situations like that and how does your process marry with the market maturing and and presuming presuming that we kind of live in this world and we're going to get into this in a second but we live in this world now where like the NFL efficiency you know on the closing line is just uh, it's just unimpeachably solid <laughs> like the closing line yeah. is so super predictive yes and the later <laughs> in the season you get the more important it becomes like like how does how do you work that into your process out of curiosity um i just kind of embrace it and consider it as part of the model process um like you said even if I have an edge one way and then the line moves away from me, but then also moves enough to become a model play on the other team. Um, to me, at the end of the day, a model disagreement that's sizable enough to play um, is a model play, um, no matter how it gets there and when it gets there. Yeah. And it, what did work into my advantage was um, there's one data set that I pull from um, that they don't update their numbers until the late afternoon of Tuesday. So, oh yeah, I don't. Is it, is it football outsiders by any chance? Yeah, I, it I is. know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. I know. I, we're, we're living in the same world. Yeah, yeah, carry on, carry on, go ahead. yeah. So um, that kind of sometimes helps me because opening numbers can get jumped on real quick and then they'll kind of settle by the time that data is available and I Great. insert yep. it into my model. So like that almost helps me because like obviously um, you're moving closer and closer to the closing period. And like you said, the closing line is the most accurate measure um, yep. there is. So Okay. Andy, question for you. Do you feel like that the moves that you see in the market from open to when we start to see data from either pro football focus or football outsiders or you name it, really just people even hand crunching their own data once they get box scores all in and done. Like, do you feel like a lot of those moves are mostly just people who are either capturing key number grabs or they are trying to grab an overcorrection, an overreaction? get ahead of a market overreaction, you know, things like that, or you know, as opposed to. Oh, yeah. Want... yeah, I think it's a ton of that. Or what, what was your last option there? I, no, no, because I, I, I just can't imagine that people really have, you know, have, you know, data in hand when those numbers pop. Well, that's the other thing too, like how, and maybe they do like, especially later in the season, granted it's a small sample size, the NFL, it's only 16 games, but maybe they feel like they have enough information about a team without entering the data from the last game that they can still make a pretty good judgment about a bad number where they, sure. you know, yeah, let's, right. l l you know, let's just say they look, they watch a game, they watch the box score they see, they know what happened. There's no major injuries. They don't think there's a major upgrade or downgrade on, you know, let's say, 10, 15 teams. Maybe there's not a lot of changes to those two teams or those teams. A couple of those teams end up playing each other. You don't think there's big changes. I don't see why you couldn't attack a bad number if it's, if it's a strong disagree against your power numbers, your model, or whatever you have. But I think uh, uh, the first things you said, everything you just said, like there's people grabbing numbers to set up moves on the other side. You got arbitrage players, guys who just look for numbers that are going to move so they can middle it. You've got people that just always play you know, totals early because they know that certain games are always just going to get bet up and they're getting the best to the number. 
and I think there's just a it's a, it's a big mishmash on Sunday night. You will see some some wild movement on the on those openers when the games do open up. And hmm. who, who knows on some of it because there there are some weird moves in the market that even we just have to like shake our heads. Uh, I still always will think of that Giants Eagles game oh, where God. there was just that was ridiculous a, that was buyback. So- that was right such, before the that game, was, that was such nonsense. Yeah, hard, hard dive out, and yeah. and it was bad. It didn't work out for them. Right, 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 right. Um, okay, interesting. So I'll, I'll I'll throw this out as a thesis, and you guys can challenge me. Um, an NFL market has like I'll say four phases to it. There's like phase one on the openers where it's number grabs and gut plays and setups and things like that. And we you know we we play that game on Sunday night. Like we, I could, I mean, I'm, I obviously don't have numbers run and I'm like, oh yeah, no, there's points of value on the Steelers because we were expecting this line to open at minus three and it's minus one. Right. Like, I mean, like, like for sure, like we play that game and that's like a good phase one of the market cycle. And then there's like phase two once, you know, once the math guys kind of come in with model projections and they're starting to hit the market and hitting some soft spots here and there, and they get shaped a little bit better. Then there's like a phase three when limits come up and some of the bigger syndicates move the markets. And then there's phase four, which is like Sunday morning, just chaos. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, like what, what Sean said too about, and I guess both of you were talking about the numbers. I think a lot of it depends on where it's sitting. If uh, the market opens a five on a team, you know, it, it's a lot less like to get pounded one way or the other. People aren't setting themselves up on one side of the seven or three. You know, there's going to be a lot less set up on some of those dead numbers that open. I mean, there still would be a lot of people that bite on it, but it, it, it's like how you talked about the the model having an edge, and you had that you had a question regarding you know are all edges equal, and, and it, it goes to the same point as far as where the the move is on the spectrum of the spread because right. you know like the move from a move from three and a half to two and a half is monstrous it's a one point right. move yes that's you like com- tectonic com- yeah. compare that to yeah. compare that to a move from plus two to minus two which technically you want to call it a four point move like i yeah. value one of those much more than the other right yeah okay no no, no. I, I think that's fair i do i think that's fair um interesting um okay Andy, do you want to dive into now uh, some of the lessons learned from handicapping in 2018? We're kind of going there anyway, I guess. Um, yeah. Anything off the top of your head that you felt like you took away from this year? We learned a lot about CLV. <laughs> that was our thing. And boy, if people could see the DMs that we've had between me and you and me and you yeah. and Alex and uh, Suma and other people and articles oh, yeah, we yeah. pulled and math we were trying out, just trying to figure out like how to actually, and I still think we actually are missing that step where we take into the, the, uh, the rake that the, the vigorish, right. That, yes, that actually yes, yes, affects yes. the, the actually predictive, uh, implied odds. We're, we're still missing one little step, but we got a lot better. Um, closing line value is super important. The closing line is very, and not, not just in the NFL, almost every sport, the closing line will be very predictive over a big enough sample size, which is, oh my God, it's one of those just wild, like when you find out something wild about nature, 
like, <laughs> seahorses, the men have the babies. So, like, what? Again, <laughs> that just sticks in your head. I mean, the closing line in every sport is highly predictive. And and it's still, and I believe it. I, I know it. I trust it. I can see I can see case studies and numbers just by looking up a whole bunch of old games and back testing it. And it still yeah. just kind of blows my mind. Wisdom so, of the crowd. I mean, having, having the best number, having the best number is, is just, it's going to be, it's going to be a long-term winning strategy. Not yeah. just, and it can't be the only thing you can't just be, well, this is going to move. So I'm going to grab it. Like, God, what I percentage best is, number, yeah. even what though it might be the wrong move. Teasers aside, what percentage of the bets did you place on Sunday this year? Very, very few. Like less I mean, than five percent. Yeah, every single and I will. Yeah, less than five percent. And if you take out teasers, all my teaser math was based on closing lines, so I felt it wasn't fair to try to capture them during the week. Do I don't you, know. I okay, thought backwards now, on now that. Now, huge, now, huge, huge question. I was going to wait until later to bring this up, but we might as well get there now since you brought it up. You're going to stick to that as a strategy. Do you really think the closing line matters on a teaser, or is it, or is the number itself much more important? And that was the, it's the number. Like I'm waiting all the stats and information and back testing on teasers was done on the closing lines crossing seven and three. So I felt like if it's a seven and a half and I bet it on a Wednesday and cross a seven and three and that number ends up at like a seven or a six and a half to close, technically that game is not within the sample set of the numbers I'm using to prove out that it's a long-term winning strategy betting these teasers. Right, so right, that bothers right, right. me. Right, that, right, that, right, that right. it can move out, it can move out of the sample set. So what I, if it's going the other way? I, and, and, I and I completely and I completely and yeah, either in either way, you could you could like miss if, the seven right, and three you, cross. Right. If you're missing a minus seven and a half and it goes to seven or six and a half, I get it. Like the closing line now, you're impl- the implied winning percentage for that team is lower, and if we're assuming market efficiencies and all that, like the team has a lower likelihood of winning. That makes your teaser like, less valuable, right? It makes your teaser like less valuable. I get that, right? But if it's going the other way, doesn't it make more sense just to have the best number in your pocket? I know I've been I. Many sleepless nights, well, <laughs> thinking about this, <laughs> thinking because there, there's been there's been plenty of those where I didn't bet a teaser leg because it it, it went the other way. <clears throat> a team was sitting at seven and a, minus, let's say just say minus seven and a half, so it, it goes down to a one and a half and a six pointer. That's that's one of the the Wong teasers, basic strategy teasers, whatever you have. Yeah, and let's say it sat at seven and a half Wednesday, Thursday game time. It's nine and a half. You know, it doesn't take a lot to move through like seven and a half to eight, eight and a half. So some of those they they, they got missed because of that, and I'm I'm not sure. I almost want to go back and do some looking, or maybe just do a little bit of a a live test throughout this NFL season, seeing what would happen if I was betting some teasers throughout the week on lines that I feel are going to move further yeah. and and honestly it's and it's hilarious too if you look at the clv on a teaser just to begin with yeah you, right. if you better if you better long teaser you get automatic closing line value of like automatic. six to eight percent wild automatic it's wild it's so wild. i can't imagine 
what would happen if you're betting a teaser on like a Tuesday or Wednesday and both lines get, you know, they cross a couple more points. Oh yeah. You could be, be, you could have 20% or more in your pocket on the kickoff, a kickoff for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, okay. Quick. Another quick, another question for you though. Um, when you're calculating CLV for teasers, are you using the product of the, of the, um, win percentages because you have this correlated event? Is this a, is this a stumper? The implied probability, I, I go with the implied probability based off the odds that they're giving me. Okay. Okay. And, okay. So I, I have to, for, 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 and for that, for that part, <laughs> the, the, the implied odds of the bet, for the implied odds of the closing line, I have to go look up, you know, alternate line. It's it's actually kind of complicated how the the it's, it's one of the bigger pain in the asses I have on a Sunday, is going and finding <laughs> the alternate lines of two different yeah. two different games. So that yeah. and then doing the the parlay math on yes, yes. two different games alternate lines yeah. to get to the closing line on what the actual closing line is. If you let's say you had access to Pinnacle or three six five and you had all those alternates, basically yeah. you're you're playing a two a two team alternate. You're playing a two parlay. team alt spread parlay. So, yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm doing, I'm doing the math for that off the closers and finding it and then transferring it back to the, it's. It takes a little time. It's kind of a pain. Okay. Well, you got to write yeah, that down. No, that, that is. And, that, that I, and I feel like that's how it. Yeah. I feel like that's how it should be done. I don't know. If, I think you're right. No, no, I agree with you. I think would, that is how it should wants be done. To disagree, no, no, no. I think that's. I think to, that. I think that is how it should be done, and I think it, it 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 correctly captures what we all know, which is it's an advantage play. Like a long teaser is an advantage play, and here's the math to prove it. Like you don't really need to go any farther than that, in my opinion. Um, okay, so uh, question then um, for let's see, I have I was going to have another jumping off point um, from that the uh, the. Betting into markets early. I guess were you in the same boat with us, uh, Sean, where you were getting relatively early action once you had your numbers post, you know, getting your data sets updated on Tuesday? Um, it honestly just really depended. Um, I would try to do. Uh, I guess I would try to guess based on you know the narrative surrounding each team and each matchup. You know whether the the money would come flooding in one way and, and compare that to where the model. Um, had a model play ready to fire on, or would have one ready to go. Um, it, it really just depended, and yes. like a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it was also dependent on you know key numbers, how close I was to them, if I if I could anticipate them um, reaching them or going through them. All, it, it was a lot of consideration, and that was probably the, the biggest subjective element of the entire um, model experience. Okay, so the subjective element being when to get involved in the market, and you were trying to use sort of classical, uh, just interpreting interpreting market movements to to make the best market entry possible. Is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I love that. Um, okay, because that's I mean a lot of what we do 
Oh man, do you have your spreadsheet open, Whale? Do you have your? <laughs> are you looking at your NFL bets? I have a lot yeah. of emotions just flooding back into me right oh, now. Oh yeah, this is same, same, same. Was I, super, I can't believe it it's over. Like I'm, I'm, I know it was such a fun season. It was. I so think fun. looking at the spreadsheet is more emotional for me than like the Super Bowl <laughs> being over and everything. This is there's yeah. a there's together, a feeling buddy. of finality. Keep it like together, I'm, buddy. Keep I'm it going, together. I'm going. Yeah, I'm going to put a line. I'm doing some. I'm yeah. doing some sell out. Lines here. I'm gonna put a hard black line at the bottom. It's done. The end of the season. Yeah. 74, 74 yeah. rows. I mean, presumably we've crossed the Rubicon on a lot of aspects of sports betting and we could replicate this now. I mean, I don't think that I think that we're continuing to get better and become more and more advantaged players um through this process, which is very public, obviously, because we're doing this podcast. But I, you know, I do th- I do think that there is a, a very um I think there's a repeatable nature to what we did this year, and I'm excited for next season for sure. Um, yeah. I'm sure our guest Sean feels that way as well. Well, and even oh, we both yeah. we both had good years, but and I yeah I bet and I I bet Sean would agree with this too. Like we we end up winning money, we were positive, we had nice ROIs, but there were still there's still thorns. Like I'm looking at this, and there's oh, yeah. still some spots where it's like oh I could I could improve. Like and that's what you have to do. It's and well, save, save, I guess I don't okay. know. Keep, keep. I don't, don't, I don't know this. Don't close. I, I, I won't. No, I won't. I won't say any of them. But yeah. I want to say something about like models too. Um, and I, I think Sean would agree with this too. I think, I think models need to be constantly tweaked. Yes. Like even yes. a really yes. good one okay. that you believe is completely predictive. You you, uh, you have to if you ain't if you ain't this is a setup. If you ain't keeping up, you're falling behind. <laughs> this is a setup. This is a setup. I completely, completely restructured how I do my NFL model this year. Completely on the fly. Uh, because it was abjectly apparent that some of my priors heading into the season were just total failures. Like assuming that the Vikings mm-hmm. and the Jaguars Agreed. defenses were going to matter and, you know, going to carry those teams into, you know, to, to success. Like it was obvious. And, you know, you started seeing re- the Chiefs. You know, if you were watching Chiefs games, you picked it up real quick. Like, oh, the Chiefs defense sucks. It doesn't matter. Like it literally, like it was, and you could, you, you know, you could, you could see it unfolding in real time. And I had to drastically, you know, change how I weighted offense versus defense in terms of projecting scores, et cetera. Um, are there any wrinkles that uh, you felt like you had to incorporate along the course of this season, Sean, or anything that you think now, as you look back at, you know, done your autopsy planning on 2019 that you think like, okay, modeling wise, I think this set of stats was much more useful than this set of stats. And I can, I can make more use out of, you know, this approach than this approach or anything along those lines. Yeah, so like a lot of what you talked about, um, like, oh, maybe this team's defense or maybe just this type of defense in general isn't as important um, as I originally thought. I kind of actually anticipated needing that and I built it into the model. Um, So I I mentioned those weights that the model assigns to the five categories and how they correlate the team strength. Um, Those are actually dynamic and they change week to week. so, for example, it caught on really quickly with the Chiefs. Um, before the season, I had them as the ninth best team, and by the end of their week three game, they had been bumped all the way up to number two already. Um, oh, okay. And nice. yeah, so like it, it, it was um, 
it was really cool to see how the model evolved in terms of those weightings over the course of the season because um, I did when I was like hand baking my numbers I was anticipating um, an uptick in offense and I kind of um, gave passing metrics especially um, a, a little boost in anticipation of that um, and then on top of that um, there's that built-in element of dynamic weights and then on top of that um, there's also a thing in the model where it takes the preseason number and each as each week goes by the weighting of how much the preseason number is baked into the current number it reduces over time and i love it um, i love it yeah current current performance becomes more and more important decay priors decaying this is awesome that is yep. a great great philosophy if you we won't i don't want to give away too much but that if anything if you're listening and you're into modeling like and you're not incorporating that in some way like start um let's see uh andy let's move on real quick to impacts of some now, of the, just to well, touch yeah, on sure. that too like that's uh that reminds me a lot of what our, our friend uh alex bartlett does too with oh uh, yeah. yeah priors yeah like as he moves through the season each week he's making a hard adjustment to you know, the priors are going to less, lessen, lessen uh, mm. as as far as how much they're going to matter in what he's doing with his numbers. And I, th I think that's probably the way it should be done. Yeah. I mean, to a degree, you don't even need your own numbers. You can just use like preseason win totals that have been shaped by the market as your demarcation for team strength and just kind of always have that in your back pocket as you're going through the season. Like, I mean, there are a lot of ways you can do it for sure. Um, okay. Let's talk about some of the uh, my favorite podcasts that we did in the preseason by far, Andy, still pinned on our SoundCloud page, was the Situational Factor pod. Um, you remember that one, obviously. Uh, do you feel like um, oh, yeah. we overemphasized how important that was, underemphasized it? Was it good for narratives and content podcasting only, or did you find that that really did help you find an edge in certain games, certain matchups as the season went along. Uh, and did it run out of usefulness in your opinion? I think we may have, and we tried not to overstate how important some of it, because a lot of it is baked into the line. Right. But I think, Knowing that, goes, that it's baked that, into the line that, is important. Has, yeah. I think it goes. Yeah, it goes you, both you ways said, because you, you can you say said, like you these are these are my numbers, and if you're not yeah, if your numbers aren't taking into account things like that, you're like oh shit, like the, I have this team x amount of points better than the other team. But if you're not taking into the account the travel, the third straight road game, something along those lines that most likely is baked into that line. If you're not taking into account, you might be going the opposite way and discounting that. So you do, you do need to take that situational handicapping. The NFL is uh, every sport. I mean, there's a lot of that in hockey and NBA too, but yeah, it, it's super important to know about. I think it's just, uh, it's like anything in life. You got to do the work and this is a big part. This is, high on the list of things you need to be checking off every week before you're making bets, double checking things like that. And, you know, thanks for making that, that nice chart because that was a super easy way to do it. Oh yeah, of course, of course, of course. Um, I thought, I felt like that was a really relatively easy way of making sure that I was responsible for checking that stuff regularly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it kept me, um, you know, it kept me on the, you know, kept, kept it, kept it in the forefront of my mind throughout the first 
12 weeks or so of the season when I thought that stuff was pretty important. Um, how, I guess I'll ask Sean, since you take a more analytical approach, I say more, I mean, it sounds like we do relatively similar strategies here, but do you take specific situational factors into account on a game-by-game basis? Um, and it can go beyond just home field advantage and buys, but miss you know the player dealing with player injuries uh dealing with extended travel dealing with um you know you know uh uh divisional opponents versus you know out of conference opponents like factors like that do you did you kind of hand massage your projections or have some scheme to deal with it numerically yeah there was definitely a numerical approach but like you said it was it was something I kind of had to do by hand. Um, there was definitely um, some that was automated, um, but like like you had mentioned, back to back travel spots, three and four travel spots, um, traveling you know to Denver in particular, or the game after playing in Denver, um, short rest, all, all of that. Um, player injuries is uh, it was probably more entertaining for me to work with than I'd ever like to admit because. <laughs> For some reason, <laughs> I, I loved looking at like, um, especially cluster injuries and how certain players play in and out of um, splits with certain players on the field with them. Um, those are always fun to look at and try to try to really put a number to that. So I, I guess the and um, your rolling situational matrix. Uh, if I'm being honest, like I would refer to that very often because. I, if, I, if there was ever a number that almost like seemed a little weird or off, I'd be like, I'm <laughs> yes. missing something. So then I'd go Same. to your Twitter yeah, and yeah, I'd, yeah. Like, yeah, huh? I'd be like, oh, <laughs> yeah. okay, there it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. That's good to know. I'll definitely do that next year. That was a lot of fun. And I like, like I was kind of pointing it out. Like it just make, you know, kept, kept me honest in terms of making sure I was doing a full handicap beyond mm-hmm. uh, you know beyond just uh, kind of leaning on the numbers too heavily um yeah any thoughts I, and this is a this is a wild weird unprepared question for sure and we'll go into more fun stuff in a second um do you there's a lot of people who are really good at nfl analytics there are some people who are breaking ground in some phenomenal ways um and i won't name names there are some sharp folks out there in analytics space that cannot handicap to save their lives what is it just because they don't have the experience gambling or is it they're missing these situational things or like what would do you have any theory as to why um you know some folks uh would not necessarily be able to translate a understanding of football that is beyond what any of us possess <laughs> into being able to correctly predict uh scores yeah i think maybe one element of that is you know, like you said, these really sharp minds, a lot of them are creating their own statistics or they're kind of trying to direct the narrative of like, this is what you need to look at, whether it's like play success rate out of certain personnel packages. And they, since they're the ones leading that charge, they're trying to almost make something out of that and they don't really want to pivot away from it. So they're kind of stuck in this lane that they created for themselves, which is not always going to produce the most profitable results in terms of, you know, predicting the outcomes of games. Whereas people like us on the outside who are looking at all these data sets. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. First and foremost, like concern (laughs) is, Hey, I want to make a profit. Let me go from here, here and here. 
and make a, you know, like a, let me Frankenstein something that it, it, its sole purpose and goal is to make a profit. That is a really good philosophy and theory. Um, and it holds a lot of water. Uh, we are people who are handicapping using the data are not, there's no conflict of interest in terms of how valuable the data itself is. Exactly. We can be more objective. Okay. I like that. That's a good, good philosophy. Um, okay. Let's talk about some fun stuff. Uh, Andy, you can still get your spreadsheet open. Uh, you got any funny stories? Yeah, I'm still uh, just kind of through? adding the screen. <laughs> and... any, any funny stories? Any uh, any big wins that you want you want to uh, bring up for old times' sake? Any bad beats you want to uh, cry over a little more? Yeah, I, and I will say too, like I've seen this hashed out on Twitter, and it's so tough. I don't know what cognitive bias it is, but you will always remember bad beats. Way more. They're they're they're, oh, they're right there. You'll always remember them. Whereas whereas like the game that you win by the hook, those those are gone. You, those are gone in like a month. You forget all about that. A lucky push or something like that. You'll always remember the bad beats. So I'm looking at these and I'm I'm actually gonna pull one of those. The the lucky push when we had that total in the Ravens game, and Justin Tucker missed oh, the only extra point he's was, ever missed in his career was, <laughs> to give us an under. Like, was like so I'm. I and I remember like I'm like I almost need to write this down. I need to go full memento and like tattoo that on my leg, <laughs> so I can like look at it when I have a bad beat and says, "Remember when Justin Tucker got you a win, though?" Because oh, those yeah. those even now I I feel like it, it, as long as you're not as long as you're not spraying the board and getting too wild with it, that sort of stuff. And maybe even if you are doing that, it'll even out. I think I that's think just that, that was a win, not a push. Always going to regress to the mean. Bad no. Yeah, we got to win. Yeah, but those lucky wins and bad beats will always even out. I don't know if I had any real bad beats. I think yeah, if I no, lost that, yeah, game, that was, was that was a win. Not it was, was like, win, oh shit, I'm losing. Because he would that would have tied it and sent it to overtime. Oh he yeah, would have put it over the hook. A, yeah, no, yeah, that was an extra point swinging the win, win total. Oh, that was incredible. That was incredible. I will not forget that one. There was a bunch too where we had early good numbers on totals and it mattered. Um, KC Baltimore. You remember that one? Uh, yes, that total yes. got steamed up so high. Oh no! Yeah, I had the under, and that that floor fell out from under that under, and it went to overtime. And uh, thankfully, uh, the Chiefs only got a field goal out of that, and then they they stopped Lamar Jackson for the first time all season uh, to keep them from taking that thing over in overtime. That was a fun one. Um, any other bad beats popping? You know, not really. I think, I think we did pretty well to keep it on the level. Um, I did fall in love with Chargers team totals for a while. That was the, that was a thing. Teasers did well. I don't know. Did you did you even play one this year? Um, I played a couple of te- I told you on a bunch mm-hmm. of teasers this year. I wasn't doing any of my own work. I was just like once I caught on that you basically were picking like. Teasers that what was your what was your overall teaser record? It, it had to be like sixteen and three or something crazy. Like it got to the point where it was like I saw you play a teaser and I just auto bet it basically. It was twelve and five. Twelve and five. Okay, so I was giving you a little too much yeah. credit, um, but still, it was it still felt like everyone was like a no doubter. 
um, because you pick two sides and then both that's sides still seventy. Cover that's, seven, that's seventy yeah. percent, dude. That's a, I mean, very, he, I won seventy yeah, percent of those bets. That's, not, yeah, that's those, and those are all bet at minus one ten. So that's yeah. that's a pretty solid ROI on teasers. Like they went well. That was my lifeblood. I I would almost be, and this is something good lesson for you know novice better or anyone just trying to get better. Don't force it because there was a couple times where I was so close. And, and that yeah. goes for anything. Don't ever force a bet. But there, I think the first week where I didn't play a teaser, like I didn't quite know what to do because I'm looking. I played teasers through the first four weeks, and then we got to week five, and it just didn't appear. I just didn't have one that week. Yeah. And it probably was for the best. I should go back and look at like things that were close and see if one was, you know, I, if I could have shoehorned one in and if it would have been good or bad. Oh yeah, no, I but, would like uh, to know. If, a, if, I would like to know if you did a better job of selecting long teaser legs than if you had just blindly bet every single one over the course of the season. Is would they have hit at seventy percent? It would have been like sixty-five or sixty something. I bet. Something, something like that. Um, yeah, I think, I think it was no like way 62. Wong teasers were, if, if Wong Teasers hit at 70% overall this season, that would be the last season. We left some money on the Wong table teasers. then. Yeah. And it would, it, would, it would be, it would not, it will, they will not be a thing next year because the books won't have that. A um, couple of, uh, off the top of my head, a couple of my favorite moments. Uh, for sure, the Jets-Lions Monday night game, week one, where we had a million alt-overs. <laughs> <laughs> and the Jets and just came kept out throwing in the interceptions. The, yeah, Stafford kept throwing pick sixes, and the Jets, the Jets scored like thirty-five off. points. They were trying to run the clock out. They were trying to run the clock out, and Bill All Powell went like ninety yards, you know, like on the ground. It was like Jesus, like this is so good. And I think we hit every yeah. all over yeah, in that the, one. The Jets scored um, thirty. Yeah, the Jets scored thirty-one points in the third quarter by themselves in that game. That, that was, was useful fun. to those bets. That was super fun. The uh, the Rams uh, Chiefs game that was incredibly fun. I was like, I was so sure that thing was flying over, and and then on top of that, um, nitrogen did not have a void if the um, if the location is changed, and we had already kind of knew that they were going to move it from Mexico oh, yeah. City uh, to LA, and it was mm-hmm. the, they left the line there hanging at Rams minus two and a half. Then I was like, oh my gosh, when this thing gets reopened and they know it's in LA, it's going to be like four or five, you know, four or four and a half. Like I'm going to have a huge middle around three. Like this is going to be so sweet. And I just unloaded on two and a half and then they opened it and it was three and a half. And I was like, oh, well, that's not as great as I was hoping. Um, But I laid, you know, I laid equal coming back on plus three and a half. And I was like, okay, give me a Rams by three here. And amazingly, we got 90. No, 105 points in that game, and it managed to land on three Rams by three. That was like utterly ridiculous. That that was that was one of the most ridiculous things that happened all season in a game of that many points scored. That it happened to be a three point margin of victory was just ludicrous. Um, and uh, last one I want to point out was the Saints uh, at Dallas. I had all those alt unders. I think I went down as low as like under 20 nine and a half or something and stupid like it was like 15 to one under 29 and a half in that game and it ended uh ended 13 10 with some of the most ridiculous refereeing you ever wanted to see missed field goals turnovers in the red zone <laughs> that was so, that was so great Allen was just out of this world so those are the those are my happiest memories from the regular season um and uh by far and away my worst 
day it was the championship Sunday. Oh my God. That was like a five figure swing losing the, uh, the chiefs and the uh, saints, uh, both at home. I figured well, at least one of the home teams wins and did not really cover my exposure. Well, whatsoever in that game, doubled down, even betting some alt spreads. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a tough way to end the, uh, tough way to end, end the playoffs there. Um, but, uh, with that, Sean, you got any uh, particularly memorable wins that you were like uh, either like this was as right as I've ever been in anything in my life or like this was awesomely lucky that you want to re- recount? Yeah, there was the uh, week 15 Monday night game, Panthers and Saints. Um, and it was the model's largest play of the season on Carolina. And I was nervous all week. (laughs) I was nervous all week because I knew that Cam's shoulder was not right. And that there was no way that like my data at that point was going to like accurately be able to capture like the state of his shoulder in that, in in his current state. And like, I was so nervous and the way they covered and that game was just, I, I was jumping. It was insane. Um, that was certainly memorable. And then Holy there was shit. also the way yeah. that went down at the end too, with the fumble at the goal line into the touchback to keep three points. Cause that would have been at least three <laughs> points for the saints. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And you would have had a push instead of a win. Cause that was ended 12, nine, if I remember right. Um, yep. That's crazy. Anyway, go, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, oh, man, um, and crazy. then the other one I do remember is the wild card round. Um, it was the Seahawks and Cowboys game. I had not pushed out the model play, um, to, you know, my followers until like maybe 20 minutes before the game. And I was out and about at that time, like out of the bars watching, um, getting ready for a Bucks game and, uh, having a couple beers. And by the time I, like, I realized it, I was like, Oh crap, I need to like put this in now. I was like stuck because the juice was really nice on plus two, but plus two and a half was like, you know, it made more sense to get the hook, but like, I've always been a part of the camp that does sell points when you can. Yeah, And I was a little under the influence. So like I was, I was seeing green in my eyes. So then I put it in the plus two and like, I can't even complain that that play pushed because like it had no business pushing in the first place. So so, something, yeah, yeah. Something that like on paper looks like it went wrong, like it went, it went fantastically for a push. Like it was a fantastic push. <laughs> uh, I forgot. Uh, I forgot about one of my other favorites, Andy. And then I want to ask you what your biggest CLV was. So take a look, look, look that up for me while I'm recounting my other favorite. Was uh, Christmas Eve, uh, the Raiders hosting the Broncos, last game ever in Oakland, and I was like, um, on, I felt like I was on an island. Like o- Raiders are going to absolutely dominate this game when they won whistle to whistle and it was christmas eve that was so fun it was like that and it was the, it was the end, end of week 16 basically kind of the end of the season really i didn't bet nearly as seriously game by game after that so that was such a nice icing on the cake with the raiders closing out their last game in oakland as the win um andy what was your best clv for the season i had a 24 percent on one of them and i'm trying to figure out what that would have closed at, I bet the, I bet Indianapolis at minus one and a half in week eight. And I don't even have who they played. Week um, eight, Indianapolis I, I, yeah. was Oakland at Oakland. 
At Oakland. Yeah, that's right. They won 42-28. Uh, yeah. There was I, I believe that was an injury one. Like that was a Oh no no no! You know what happened? I bet the I bet the Colts minus one and a half, and then Amari Cooper got traded. Oh, oh that's right. Oh, <laughs> no, that's a hundred percent what happened. So that was like I'm like you know what this is this is false CLB. Yeah yeah it yeah. It doesn't matter because you're being on being on the right side of it still feels pretty good. So oh, yeah, that, sure. that indie that indie number got just beat up. Like it opened, I think it might have opened right there, minus one and a half. I grabbed it early. He got traded, and indie money flowed in for the entire week. Mm. But that one was a little funny. I've had a couple like that over the course of the years. Honestly, the first bet I made of the whole season was Bengals. was pretty good. It was like, yeah, the Bengals was like sixteen percent. Bengals money line against Bengals the plus yeah, three. I was yeah, on that too. Which probably shouldn't have won that bet. It was pretty lucky. It was really lucky, actually. Um, but yeah, the CLV on that one for me was about twenty-one percent. That was one of my biggest. Uh, I bet money line plus one forty-two, and it closed minus one hundred nine. <laughs> that was awesome. Ah, <laughs> uh, good shit, man. Good shit. All right, well, um, let's uh, uh, let's look ahead a little bit to twenty nineteen, and then wrap up this pod. This has been a ton of fun. Um, Sean, I'll give you first crack here. Um, lay out for me a team that you're high on heading into 2019 and what you think they need to do in the free agency and draft to kind of cement their status as sort of the team you're going to be carrying the flag for next year. Sure. So I kind of approach this with the mindset of a team that I think will be really undervalued in the market and by the public. Um, and I went ahead and picked the Broncos um in my well, that's model interesting. yeah in my model their peak expected wins number this season would have finished seventh in the model at season end um they obviously got rid of vance joseph they have fangio as the uh, head coach now um i think it's scan as their oc who was the quarterback's coach for the 49ers so he has you know experience working with shanahan and i feel like he has to get some credit for coaching up some of those quarterbacks that took snaps for them and didn't look all too bad for them. Um, they did get Munchak from the Steelers to be their O-line coach. Um, in terms of talent, they could they could probably use another wide receiver um, or maybe like a receiving threat-esque tight end. Um, I don't think they'll, they'll address QB, so I won't cheapen out and say, well, they need to upgrade Keenum. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they'll ride him out for one more year. Um, and then they could probably use some help in the secondary. I mean, the Falcons just cut Alfred. I'm sure he could come in on a cheap contract and give some, give some relief on that. And, um, and then on top of that, you know, they're going to play in a very overpriced division. I think uh, I saw the behind the two teams that played in the Super Bowl, the Chiefs and Chargers were tied for the next uh, shortest odds to win the Super Bowl next year. And I think the Chargers are a bit, um, mispriced in that regard and i think mahomes despite how much of a great talent he is i think it's just inevitable that he regresses at least a little bit from that crazy season he had um so yeah they play in an over overpriced division their schedule isn't too bad they get um the jaguars titans bears lions and browns at home um if they can draw either the bears or the browns or maybe even both um early on in the season uh it's like a 
it's like an actually like statistically supported thing where like it's like denver's record in denver in september and i think the first two weeks of november i forget i read it at the beginning of the season and um checked it out and it seemed pretty pretty solid um so if they can draw one of those two tougher teams early on at home that that's huge for them and then on the road i think it's always kind of nice to draw the majority of your tough opponents on the road because i mean you're less likely to, to lose your road games so you might as well take your losses as losses when you can i don't mm. know if that's just me yeah no no that um, makes sense yeah, so they get uh, the Vikings, the Packers, the Colts, the Texans, and the Bills on the road. So, I mean, they're not really going to be losing out on a lot of um, nice, juicy home games to some of those better teams. Um, and funnily enough, I did put uh, a very, very long shot Super Bowl future on them this past season. Um, I was anticipating that they'd have an okay chance at sneaking in as a wild card, but then, you know, Vance Joseph blew. I think it was like two different games with his um, decision-making down the stretch. But now that that's out of the way, um, I saw that they have like the second worst odds to win the Super Bowl, which I know they play in a tough division. I know the AFC is absolutely like just a bloodbath, but I don't know, to be priced like a team like the Cardinals or the Raiders, I think that's completely unfair. They, they finished six and 10 this year. They, they had four losses to playoff teams um and the one to the rams was by three they lost to the chiefs by four they lost to the chiefs again by seven and then they lost one game to the chargers and they beat yeah, the that rams game will never make sense to me yeah 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 that was a lot that was actually the second largest model play of the season so that was like another good heart attack for me um <laughs> they beat the rams and there was one other playoff team i think they had to win again so like that they aren't as bad as maybe their records suggest. They face the two best definitely, I don't think they're as bad as their prices suggest. Yeah. Okay. I did, that, that all jabs. Um, interesting uh, breakdown there. Andy, who's your, who are you carrying the flag for in 20, uh, 2019? Maybe not as much of a flag to place any hard futures but i am interested in the jets season win total over i think they're just just a few pieces away um you know like we did the schedule breakdown obviously they get the patriots twice which is not great but you still get the bills the dolphins uh they play the Bengals, cowboys giants skins raiders jaguars they have an opportunity to win seven eight games i think if it comes out nice and low jets this team total over. I really liked uh, Darnold after he came back from his injury. He looked quite a bit better. I think they just, it was another, it's the same thing. Like Sean just said about the Broncos. You just, you had a problem coach. Yeah. Like he, right. he was not good. There was a and ton Gase, of that. Gase, was, uh, a, Gase did pretty well. Some pretty good firings this year. Did, did Gase take the Dolphins to the playoffs his first year in Miami? I think he did, right? I, th- I think so. They were like nine and seven. Um, okay. Uh, let me ask. Uh, no, no worries that he's going to be like uh, completely uh, distracted at every press conference because people told him he can't blink. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. I don't like that. I really don't like what, what that was. Like that, that was upsetting. Hey, it's I crazy to more become serious. a meme instantly. More serious question: Are you? Uh, what are, What are your feelings on the Jets' season win total? If they sign Le'Veon Bell before we see a number pop. 
you can be bummed. Like it's going to influence the win oh, total. That sucks. On the yeah, it, it'll open. Yeah, it will open. Yeah, and, and honestly, I hope they don't sign him. I don't think that would be a good signing for him. I hope nobody signs him. Honestly, that'd be pretty funny to me. But yeah, that he's, <laughs> whatever he's going to cost, it's, it's it's too much. Yeah, I think you, know, what you, can, you need to be looking costs, for. It. If I'm looking for a running back in the offseason, I'm get get or it needs to be ghetto esque. Ghetto Sam Khan, yes. Yeah. I like yeah. him. Did you have a thought on Le'Veon Bell? Cheap. Uh, Sean? Oh, yeah. What I was going to say is, um, you know, whatever his price is, like what he provides um, over what McGuire can do or the rest of that backfield, it's obviously not going to be worth it. I mean, we see time and time and again. I mean, you see these teams have to resort to third string running backs or people off the street. And like they do just fine, and I mean, look at Damian Williams; like he he was lighting people up. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, so it was like the eventually, you know, after James Conner, you know, got his bell rung, the third string guy ended up coming on pretty well for the Steelers down the stretch too. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's uh, it is a it is a a position that feels imminently replaceable, and uh, which is why it was so head scratching that uh, Belichick went and drafted a first running back first over, you know, first round last year. And lo and behold, uh, I, I have, I mean, my, my radar is going to be up for what teams do. Correlation but, causation know. isn't there with that. No, without a doubt. It's not, it's laughably far from the, but, but at the same time, like I get his philosophy. Like I know why he did it. Like I get it. Like it makes sense to get, you know, a guy that you can get high usage out of while you have Brady, you know, winding down his career. Like that's a no, you know, like it makes sense. Right. Right. But there's definitely going to be some teams that emulate that, that ought not to. (laughs) And it's going to be funny to see how that plays out in the draft. Um, I mean, there were some teams last year that drafted running backs in the early rounds of the draft that I thought were enormous mistakes. And one of those teams was the giants and he went on to win rookie of the year. And I still don't think that was a good pick for them because I think it, you know, is going to keep put them in the middle for, you know, years and years and years to come. Uh, I will not be carrying a Giants flag this year because it looks like they're going to try Eli Manning back out there. So, you know, it's uh, it's that's that's uh, that's kind of the way these things go. And it's funny how it all shakes out. Um, I don't have a super strong opinion. We talked a little bit about the Browns on our last podcast. I do think that they, um, you know, if the Browns, I would like to see them get like a tackle in free agency. I know there's not a ton of good tackles out there. Oh, and actually, you know what? I meant to ask you this, Sean. Like, probably one of the best players in free agency is the Broncos center. Um, think, does it, do, do you have any kind of expectation that they for sure bring him back? Yeah, Matt Paredes. Um, yeah. I, I, I haven't um, taken a good look at, you know, salary cap situations. I'm like generally aware of the extreme cases like the Browns and the Jets. Um, I don't know. I have to take, I have to take a look at that, but I mean, the fact that they have Munchak, I'm, I'm sure he can coach up. Good point. Like whatever talent great, they do end up point. with. Great point. Great point. Um, okay. The, yeah, uh, but yeah, I like, I like the, the Browns to absolutely compete for the NFC North title. I think they're going to be um, out of this world. Good and talent wise standpoint with, the young core and whoever they get in free agency, assuming that I'd like to see them bolster their offensive line a bit to keep uh, Mayfield from getting injured. I would feel a little bit better about that personally. Um, and uh, yeah, I think um, outside of the obvious ones, uh, I'll take a flyer on uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bruce Arians, James Winston. I think they're going to make some magic. Yeah, I don't mind that. I think yeah, I don't uh, mind that one at all. 
Yeah, I, I want to see what that win total pops at. Um, I'm a little concerned about they're going to have the same brain trust drafting that passed over Derwin James for Vita Vey. Uh, <laughs> if, if they if they flub uh, the draft for a second straight year, then I may recant a lot of this on some of the podcasts <laughs> that we do this offseason uh, because they sure as hell could have used a Derwin James or a Leighton Van Der Esch, and they had a Vita Vey, who apparently is going to be a replacement for Gerald McCoy. Um, but uh, we'll see about that. Um, yeah, and yeah, they, so, they bring that pick on uh, Ronald Jones, too. That was a complete Yeah, bust. I didn't. Oh, goodness gracious, was that bad. <laughs> oh, my lordy. Yeah, you could have had Philip Lindsay, and you have Ronald Jones. Good job, guys. Um, that was pretty pretty well played by you. And Derwin James. Derwin James is going to be so good for so long. <laughs> so good for so long. Seriously. Especially on the same defense. That like, have, how many, how many other years does he win? My God. Yeah. Yeah. How many other different seasons does Derwin James probably win Rookie of the Year? Like, there's uh, there's quite a few. All where I think yeah. he he was a yeah, str- yeah like he just he just that was a there was a pretty solid class of defensive rookies this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy, anyone you're especially down on? Regardless of the what Browns. they do in free agency or the draft, oh, you really going there? I can't believe no, I'm, ju- I'm, I'm just I'm just <laughs> no, I'm just busting it. your chops. I just okay. no, I, I I I actually. I, I do agree with you. I like it. I just think the hype's going to be too big. They're not going to okay. jump up and be some eleven-win team. I think. I think I can fade that hype. Um, I don't know who I'm down on. Probably. Oof. It's going to be hard to back Carolina if they don't do anything for the quarterback. If they just punt for the year and don't bring in a free agent, which I don't know what I would do if I was management down there. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really unique situation because it's not like it's time to move on from Cam, but Cam is <laughs> what, I mean, yeah. what do you do? I really don't know what to do down there. That that is such a unique situation and yeah. it'll be interesting to see now Foles Foles free agent. So Foles to Foles to Carolina would be very interesting if they just punt. Boy, what it's going to be a weird team that's probably going to have to be faded. I got to give you more credit for your call um, on the Cowboys. I forgot that they are going to go into this season with Jason Garrett as a um, as a lame duck. <laughs> what, what are they doing? What are they doing? I can't yeah. believe they're going to do this. Uh, I can't, I, they still they have so many talented young players. They have a strength at an offensive line. Um, presumably, actually, you're probably not going to get the same season you got out of Amari Cooper if you pay him. Um, and, you know, I know if you go with a run-focused approach around That's a good Kelly, fade. You're like, be, yeah. yeah, the Cowboys, Cowboys probably going to be pretty good fade, um, especially with the Eagles coming on and especially with uh, they're going to have a first-place schedule. So good luck, Cowboys. Um, Sean, who you got on the uh, on the uh, on the fade list potentially if things go wrong? Uh, it's so tough because I think this year the the quarterback like movement across teams is going to matter uh, like so much. Like if I don't I don't oh, know yeah. if they would do it, but if like the Giants got like an actual real quarterback for this year, or if the Jaguars got a real quarterback, like those teams could jump up so quickly. Which like in effect affects you know the teams in their division, great and conference point. Yes. and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but honestly, like I, I was looking up and down through my model trying to figure out a good team for this, and if if golf is gonna play like that, ah oh, yes, I was gonna ask you this. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. 
yeah, if Goff is going to play like that in every like high, like in every high pressure situation, and honestly, like McVay's a great coach. I'm not trying to say he isn't, but if McVay is going to like regress to this conservative, like play caller in those same spots, like I just don't see how this team takes that next step. McVay was incredible for you know the first two thirds of the season, and then I think the cup injury, and I think um, you know teams had a better understand because you know everyone praised them for oh they run the same formation like 96 percent of plays and like wow that keeps it simple and easy to understand for the the offense that also like makes it on the other side like it makes it easier to catch on and like learn how to how to adapt to it and i think that's what we saw in the super bowl and even throughout the playoffs you know they weren't the same offense and you know, some of it might be golf shrinking in the, in the moment, but I think it also is that when your offense is that, I mean, it is a dynamic offense, but it comes out of a very static look. Like there's only so many branches that come off the tree. And if, if you're ready for all of that, then, you know, you kind of have your bases covered. So, I mean, they're obviously going to be priced really well next year. And I just, I mean, it's always going to be that way where the teams that do really good one year, just because you know the public loves favorites, like they're gonna be overpriced the following year, mm. um, and then on top yeah. of that, you have the rest of you know everything else. God, I co- I couldn't agree with you more on this, and I was gonna ask lay this up for you guys if no one picked the Rams, but like, yeah, did the Patriots put together the blueprint that everyone can now study in the off season and roll out to confuse and confound this offense? Um, does McVay have any other wrinkles? Does he have any other aces up his sleeve that he can introduce to make, you know, differentiate his offense? Uh, and mm-hmm. on top of all this, they are a top heavy team. They have a lot of salary yep. tied up in a few players, which means they need to get the most out of all of their, you know, all of their backups. And they had a really, really healthy team throughout the playoffs. Yep. And if they, they get a little dinged here, a little ding there, offensive lines a year older, some big bodies who played a lot of football this year you know, roll out there and expect to get 16 games from these guys next year. I got bad news for you. You know, you better have some very good backups, um, you know, trained up and, and ready to step in on some low salaries because you have not a lot of space. and You have, you know, you have uh, some positional, essentially some positional weaknesses. If you get some cluster injuries, you are screwed. Um, yeah, I could definitely see the Rams take a step back. Um, just the last opinion question because we didn't talk about them. Bears go step forward or step backwards next year, in your opinion, Sean? Oh, man. Okay, so I'm going to go backwards. And I think there's, like, a lot of little things that just add up. Um, It's like, what is it, the death of a thousand paper cuts, like that type of thing, Mm -hmm. where, you know, they came into this past season – third in their division so like with the way scheduling works they were playing you know worse teams um the packers weren't the packers so those were they did pick up one win against them um i, I think if they roll out the same wide receiver corpse i think anthony miller's a fantastic talent um i do like uh what i i, I do think he'll become better but i i just with Trubisky, you know, he can't do anything after his first read other than roll out. And I just, I don't, I don't see how this team makes that next step outside of 
um, offensive scheming innovation on Nagy's part, which, I mean, if there was a guy that was going to do it, Nagy's probably one of the top five people in a league that could do it. Um, but yeah, I, I do think they take a step backwards. Um, I, I think just the division will be a, a tad bit more competitive. They'll have a harder schedule. Um, and, you know, having a year of tape on Nagy's offense will be will be a factor as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Andy, it, it never hurts to fade a playoff. Yeah, it never hurts to fade a playoff team. How about that? Yeah. Andy, let me let me bring up because another there's one. What, what we say. It's going to be like five and a half of them aren't going to make the playoff. Let me let me bring up another one. Here. First Andy, place yeah. schedule, a lot of tape. Yeah, that's another that's team tough. with a first place schedule and a lot of and some tape. Finally, step forward or backwards for the Baltimore Ravens. We've compared them to the to the Bears quite a bit during the season. I think we surely have. Good, we were high on both for yeah, and, reasonable reasons, and and they, we cashed a lot of tickets thanks to their play this year. But yeah, I mean, I, we even, we, even and we being have to think about the, this uh, don't want to be like in the tougher conference. Teams. Yeah, even being in the tougher conference, I think maybe no step, like same step. Can you do that? They like they should. I don't think they're going to get markedly better but i don't see him taking a huge step back uh, i like i like that they just pulled the trigger on lamar said this is it i like that defense i like the coaching staff and i like where they're at i just yeah i think it, they should be a similar team even with a slightly tougher schedule because they kind of had a tough schedule this year i felt like without mm-hmm. even looking at the metrics, they played a bunch of good teams. And at the beginning of the year, you wouldn't have thought maybe that it would have been a very tough schedule, but it kind of turned out that way. Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay. Let's wrap this up. Great, great job, guys. I think I feel like we did very, very uh, decent service to what was a very fun NFL season in 2018. Sean, look forward to seeing and reading and hearing more from you in the coming year. And for sure, put your you know, put some time on the calendar for us to help preview the next season and, and come on and help uh, be a be a guest during the regular season. That'd be super fun. Uh, and uh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that was a fun, a ton, or a ton of fun. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to the next time we can talk on this podcast. Right on. Yeah, thanks, uh, Andy. Thank, yeah, thanks a lot, man. Closing the book. It's over. Closing, <laughs> it's the, book, over. closing the book in the season. We've got dark, uh, like we said last line, week. We've got draft. We've got yeah, it's over. Heavy dark line, but we've we've got it's draft season now. It's free agent season. It's combine season. We've got there's plenty of NFL to go around for the next 210 days till we kick off again. Fair enough. All right. Well, take care. Have a great night. Get some of those winners in mid-major college basketball, and now we'll uh, talk to you. <laughs>